Alright, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty DeFaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV. Abe, in the house. What's going on, brother? It's warm, it's warm. in the studio. <laughs> yes, let's go. I'm very, I'm, I'm ready to focus today. We're ready to focus. <laughs> Last week we had Missy Beefcake, 9 o'clock, the return of Jimmy Farrow, but more importantly, we've got the iconic pro wrestling legend, Mr. Wild Bill Irwin. Bill, thank you for gracing us with your presence, sir. Well, you're welcome. All those fancy, nice names. I've never been called so many nice names. Usually I get called worse names than that. <laughs> well, you know what? Me too. And probably from my wife. And that's the worst part of it. So yeah. she, was, she was just yelling at me in the house because on a weekend I was uh, mopping the floors. And we have wood floors. And I guess I left a wet mop on on the floor. I forgot to put it in a bucket, and it stained the floor. And I, I just caught holy hell for it. Yeah, it'll warp the floor, won't it? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you, now you're piling on. Now she'll be watching. It's just say, even Bill Irwin thinks you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, Bill, yeah. you're still in Minnesota. With, we were talking, or Minneapolis, I'm yeah. sorry. Um you, you you still to you still enjoy Minneapolis? Yeah, I'm getting to the point where I'm the weather is becoming more of a pain in the ass and and then a good time. Although though my son is a big snowmobiler and that kind of stuff, and you know when we moved home, he played hockey and all of that good stuff uh, and went to college and now he's a big snowmobiler. And, uh, my wife and I are kind of like, well, what are we doing here? It's 30 below for God. I, mean, I don't get out. But, you know, talk is cheap, and we just uh, we threaten to leave uh, every winter, and we never do. We're, we're leaving here, I promise you. I mean, don't you, like, miss the beach and the weather and, you know? Yes, yes, I do. I miss I, – I, I, I actually seriously – the day we left Texas, we lived. I lived just north of uh, of Denton, Texas, which is just north of Fort Worth and Dallas. It was 117 degrees, oh, and you know, up here it'll get down to 50 below and stuff. But I still think, God, I'd love to go back to that 117 degrees. You know what you know? I? I think I have to agree with you. I'd rather go with the 100. 50 below. What does 50 oh. below feel like? Well, you know the trick where you take a glass of water and throw it in the air and it freezes? That's it. We wow. That's every day up here. No thanks. No thanks. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, Still. we had last, last year we had what? I don't know. What was it? 120 inches of snow in Duluth? We had a lot of snow last year. This year, the snow level is not, it's not real deep. The snowmobiling here is uh, not such a big thing because there, there's not enough snow, but, you know. Well, what about, like, uh, snow blowing your uh, driveway and stuff? What, do you got some kind of giant tractor doing it? I mean, you know. My driveway, my driveway is 120 feet from the, the garage door to the road. And it's, I don't know, 20, it's it's a two-lane blacktop, right? right? Two cars go down it. And, uh, yeah, we'd get a foot, uh, we'd get a foot, 
13, 14 inches of snow and it, you're out there for a couple hours just back up and down, blowing the snow. And then by the time you get done, you got to almost start over because it's still snowing. And if, But if you don't do it while it's snowing, it'll be too much. <laughs> so, yeah. So what is it like? What's it like in your house? Like when it's about to snow and you know the snow's coming, you must be miserable. Like over here when I know snow's coming and I know what the morning's going to bring and it's not yeah. near what you guys to deal with, but I'm all pissed off that night. I'm all ready to be mad. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we have to, you have to uh, kind of, uh, it's coming. So what are you going to do? Just make sure the snowblower is working. That's the trick. Because if you go out there and it won't run, you're not going anywhere. And sometimes you're not going anywhere anyway. So, you what know, the plows, all the streets will get plowed. Though, you know, like the city and the counties are pretty right. good at, at plowing the roads and keeping them plowed and sanding and, and putting uh, salt down, that kind of stuff. Yeah, although it's still tricky to drive in, yeah, you'll be okay. But, you know, you got to get out of your driveway and, you know, when it's, you get, six or eight inches well that's pretty good but when it hits at 12 to 14 inches you know uh then you're kind of really uh your, your snowblower might take a great big bite on six inches but on 14 inches it takes the itty bitty little bite like that so how many how many runs up and down do you got to take to get that much over all the time it's, uh, it takes several hours of walking back and forth you got to appease me on this one because now I have the opportunity. I, you, I, I'm assuming you saw the movie Fargo. I believe so. Yeah. So it's like based on like a it's um, a police force in Minnesota, and I guess they go um, over to like yeah. Are the people oh, really can... like that up there? Is it is it is it that way? Uh, it can be. Yes. I mean, obviously, probably for. You know, movie, they take a little bit of, a, what do they call it, liberals? Or Lib a yeah, a liberty. Of, yeah, a little liberty. liberty. On it. They take some liberty with the characters, but there's a certain amount, uh, yeah, that are out there. They're pretty much characters just like that, yeah. Do they have, like, special, is it true, like, they have special seal coats for the cars for, for Minnesota? Or Minneapolis to protect the car. Well, yeah, you can, get, you, you can get your car seal coated and underneath with uh, um, it's a rust prohibitive stuff. You know, as far as rust prohibiting over the paint, well, you know, you can, but most of the rust uh, prohibitive stuff is a dark color tar stuff, you know. So you really not the bodies of the cars usually if you're putting some type of rust uh, inhibitor on it you're blowing it up underneath them up on the frame and up in the wheel wells and that kind of stuff because All right, well, I, I don't i don't want to beat up on uh minnesota that bad even though the, i hate the vikings but i'm a jet fan mm -hmm. so i have it worse than you so yeah. we can't yeah. even talk about it yeah. the vikings yeah you know one year you love them the next year you hate them so at least you make the playoffs. I my team hasn't made the playoffs in twenty five years or whatever it is. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. If my partner was here, he'd be screaming to you, crying about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So before we get into it, Bill, you mind going over a couple of news items with me, and maybe if you want to comment, or if you don't want to comment, all good there. 
no. Well, yeah. All right. I'll, I might have to use a no comment once in a while, but I don't know. Go ahead. We'll try. We'll open up with a, a little more difficult one. 64,000 women and girls became pregnant due to rape in states with abortion bans, study estimates. More than 64,000 women and girls became pregnant because of rape in states that implemented abortion bans after Roe vs. Wade was overruled, according to a new research that was made. What do you think of that, Bill? Uh, oh, wow. And you thought you were doing a wrestling show. <laughs> you don't mess around, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, if you want my opinion, the, the abortion thing should have been left alone, period. Would you elaborate a little more? Well, I don't think they should have changed it. You know, they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. What is it? Roe versus Wade. They shouldn't have taken that out. I, I think you you should be able to to get an abortion if you need to. Do you, you know? Do you think this country hasn't progressed enough enough in certain areas, like this example, like women uh, not still achieving the same rights that they need within this country? yeah yeah you're the women's are still held down yeah that's for sure they're you know they should be paid the same they should be doing you know they shouldn't i don't know i don't know how to say it but they should be pretty much you know they should be equal with the men in the country which you know i'd like to say they are but i know they're not so. mm. You know. What do you think? How do you feel about the country right now, the state of the country? Uh, in my case, I'll share with you, I, I think the country's probably in the worst it's, state it's ever been. What are your thoughts? Well, I think we were worse about two and a half years ago. For four years, we were in a horseshit spot. And I don't, uh, if we're going to go politics, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Trump fan at all, period. Nothing more to say about it. I know. You don't. Fair enough, and that's a great part of it, right? It's like that's what this what this country's built on, right? Our our opinions. Um, yeah. The 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 thing I have found, and it's not odd, but um, most of the wrestlers that I've spoken to are pretty hard hard right Republicans. So um, you know. Um, I'm glad to see there's someone on the left and I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm on the right or the left, but I'm glad to see that there's another take on it. Right. Well, let's put it this way. Everybody, all, all the people in government, they all have their issues. They all have their problems. They all, they're all pretty much the same, but you get down you get down to a situation like we have now, and uh, he is not worthy of being put back into the presidency. He's a, you know, he has so he's got so many cr crimes he's he's done. He can't keep up with them all. Anyway, you know, I just think that uh, putting him back in office would be wrong, simply because I think he would try to take over. I think he. He won't leave next time he's in. He'll try to stay. You know he will. And we'll be doing this again down the road in four or five years. Or he'll try to have set it up with the, uh, you know, having the uh, 
Supreme Court swayed his way since he's put three or four of them in there. He's hoping that they'll save his butt on some of this stuff. I'm quite sure he is. I don't know whether they will or not. Don't know. But Fair they, enough. You know. All right, I next news they, article. You ready? Yeah, New, I will. Nude man nabbed by police after cannonball plunge into giant aquarium at a Bass Pro Shop in Alabama. A man crashed into his car, uh, crashed his car outside a Bass, a Bass Pro Shop in Alabama, stripped down to his birthday suit, and plunged into a giant aquarium inside the store. The ordeal happened Thursday night in front of shocked shoppers in the town just outside Birmingham. Lead police officer Paul Irwin said. How do you like that one? What do you think about this? Does Alabama need to make some changes? Well, <laughs> I, would, I would suggest they need bigger fish because uh, I don't think he'd jump in some of the pools we got up here full of fish. They're probably as big as he is or bigger. But I don't What the hell? I'd have to say, what is he on? You know, I mean, really. And the, yeah. the, the, the police officer's name was Irwin. Yeah, I thought it would be fun, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. There's no. I don't. I don't know of a Paul in my family lineage of Irwins. Is it spelled the same? I R W I N. Yes, sir. It is. Wow. I don't know. Maybe it'd be a long lost relative. You know? Never know. Never yeah. know. All right. This know. this hit the news today. Um, a little bit of the Resolink business. And I, I really do would like to hear your opinion on this. WWE founder Vince McMahon accused of sexual abuse and trafficking in a lawsuit of a former employee. A former employee of the WWE sued founder Vince McMahon, allegedly he abused and sexually exploited her when he was CEO of the wrestling company. McMahon allegedly trafficked her to other men as a pawn to secure talent deals. Thoughts on that, sir? Oh wow! Um, I just I just heard that on the local news before this started, and it was like, oh, for Christ's sake! That's a little bit of both ways. I I I I I think I don't really know. I don't I don't know the lady. I don't know you know, and I don't know Vince that well. I know the wrestling industry, you know. Uh, you know, is there a certain amount of sex going around out there all the time? Yeah. Uh, do I think he, I wouldn't have a clue whether he's telling people or doing this or doing that, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't been there in 25 years, so I don't know anymore. In the old days, you know, you had. You had arena rats, that kind of thing, fans and that, you know. But as far as, you know, having someone that you're selling and or, or you know, giving them off to people, I, I, I don't know. And to me, it's like, geez, you know, he's got enough money. That why would he, what, what would be the point? He doesn't have to do it. What's the point? As a male, an older male like you and I are, um, is it? Do you feel like it's more dangerous out there? Like you have to be very careful of 
everything that you do here or you'll be accused of something inappropriate? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, in our day out there, things were easier. Now, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going on. I would think that, yeah, you're going to have to, you know, make sure, you know, you're going to have to cover your bases. Uh, you know, you can't. You never really could do any, do anything out there, uh, you know, that you didn't you'd had to worry about if you're you know if you're raping women or something. Well, you were going to. Well, no, I I don't mean yeah. raping women. I mean like you know, you you're working with a woman and you know you give her a compliment or something like that. Oh, I like your dress or I like this. You know, do you feel like in today's environment that even that could be misconstrued and and ruin your life? Well, it can be misconstrued, and could it ruin your life? Uh, possibly, I guess. Uh, therefore, I guess I, you got to learn to keep your mouth shut a little bit too, you know. Yeah, I guess um, so. You're just trying to be nice. I can understand, and someone might take it wrong. That happens, uh, you know. And what you can do about it, all I can say is, shut up. Don't say anything. Now that, that's a quote we have to use, Bill Irwin. Shut up, my drone business, and everybody will be just fine. I would like to thank the band that sings a theme song for Monty and Farrell, our own Jimmy Farrell, along with his part, partner, Bart Griggs, make up the band Wisteria Hall. They sing such great songs as In My Dreams, This Life, Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain. You can find their music on the Wisteria Hall YouTube page. Hit that like and su subscribe. Spotify, Apple Music, Reverb Nation, download it, listen, enjoy. If you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro. Catch us on the Monty Nefaro YouTube page, Facebook Live page. Here's on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, Twitch TV page. And if you're lucky enough to live in New York, catch us on Channel 115 every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. and Saturday at 11.30 a.m. and Channel 20 at 7 p.m. And if that's not enough catching us, we're also on the Intuitive Network. That's I-N-2-I-T-I-V-E. They've got drama. They've got comedy. They've got music videos. And more importantly, they've got Monty Nefaro. We'll be right back, who I consider one of the all-time great icon. And, and this is... A privilege for me being um, an old WWE guy who was captivated by the world of WCCW where I first saw the gentleman uh, across the country wrestling Wild Bill Irwin. We'll be right back. Manscape. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, have you tried the new equipment that's been sent? I'm afraid because it says Weed Whacker. <laughs> I'm scared. Maven, Manscaped. What are you thinking about Love Manscaped, it. dude? You Love it. it. What do you use it for? Necessity. <laughs> what don't I use it for? Put it this way. <laughs> the only hair <laughs> I have on my entire body is these eyebrows. Yeah. That oh. you see. These wow. caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose. That's it. <laughs> that is it. That's all, that's all I have. And that's all I want. That's the So, Manscaped. There's a you, must. We were talking before the show. There's nothing worse 
than just hair. Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man, it's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. <laughs> Again, I don't want you to have to admit this because we, as men, we try not to admit this. But if you're going to oh, go do I the know deed it. on a woman, I know would you rather have her be hairless or a little hair, racing stripe, or <laughs> racing stripe. full retro bush? <laughs> racing well, stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a small, well-manicured landing strip. <laughs> Every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald, mm. then I, I start, where is that pedophilia line that yeah. I'm, that I'm, I don't, I don't wow. want to wander into that. That's very interesting. Like that. I never thought about wow. that. You're a smart dude. Holy yeah. shit. So if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that. If the landing strip is, has, like I said, well manicured, yeah. you yeah. can see both sides. It's not like blinking lights on both sides of that. I just don't, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that. Gotcha. As well. Oh, yeah, look but, what you found. Ooh, I gotta be all gotcha. honest though. Hey, the, ah. <laughs> the older I get, though, I don't. I think I don't think I can be as. Uh, I as, found it. Have, I found have it. Have you ever gone down there and like just like you, she slowly brings down the underwear? Then what is retro? Just, Absolutely. Retro? You're like whoa. Wow. Like, yeah, like it pops out. Do you like walk out or what do you do? No, I try, I muster through. I muster up the courage to get a through. trooper. Yeah, he's a trooper. <laughs> Gotta give him an name. Oh, not all not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, I know. Listen, I couldn't. I couldn't say. I couldn't say. Well. If you have the same beliefs as Maven does, Manscaped could help you. Absolutely. The weed whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the weed whacker for a little while. Yeah, I think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but with that, Ron we're going to take a quick Batman. commercial break, and anyway. we'll be back with this wrestling icon, Maven. We will see you in a drop kick second. Uh -oh. Drop kick All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, where we're honored to have this pro wrestling legend mr wild bill Irwin. bill how are you bud i'm alive and well i don't know if i can get over if i can put up with that much more whatever that was holy <laughs> moly we're not going there don't even think about it i'm not going there <laughs> that's just a commercial man <laughs> bill tell tell me about you growing up in your early life Well, I don't know. I was born in, uh, I was born out in California. We moved uh, to Minnesota when I was three. And uh, we, Duluth, Minnesota, we lived, uh, I don't know, we ended up six blocks from a hockey rink. And in, in Minnesota, you know, everybody plays hockey. Doesn't matter. You play hockey. And uh, so we ended up, you know, starting to go to the rink at three or four or five years old. And pretty soon, you know, I'm playing, you're playing on the teams. I grew up playing hockey uh, all the way up through high school and played in college uh, at a local college here, College of St. Scholastica. We were national champs in 1975. I got to look over here on this. I don't know. <sighs> Nice. National Club, NAIA. 
back in uh, 70, what was it, 75? Let me think, I got to read it here. Anyway, yeah, 75. Uh, you know, from, I don't know. So I went to high school here. Uh, so grew up playing baseball, literally, you know, all the sports. Uh, my dad was a longshoreman down on the docks, you know, loading and unloading the uh, ships that come in. You know, this is a, a port city where it's the farthest west you can go with a big ship, Duluth, Minnesota. And so, you know, he worked on the docks and we were just kids going to the rink and uh, running around. My older brother, Scott, he was two and a half years older than me. And we played hockey, baseball, and then started playing some football and uh, went on through school. I don't know. I was no great student. I guess I think I could have been a better student. Right. I don't think I'm ignorant or stupid. If I want to figure something out, I can. I just, uh, I don't know, you know. Now, do, you, do you naturally learn how to skate? I mean, I can't skate. I can't ski. How easy did that come to you? You know, the thing to do is <laughs> I tell people now, you know, I see them with their kids I, and they, I, they're they young, you know, in their arms. I says, then when he's three years old, buy him skates. Oh, no, no, no. That's down. No, that's too early. Maybe later. Maybe when he's five or six. No. Three years old, when they start walking, you get them skates and get them on the ice. And they'll be skating before four, and they'll be flying and going. And you learn it easier and faster when you're young as a little kid. They'll pick it right up because a little kid falls down, he just gets up. Same thing on the ice. They fall down, they get up. You know, they just go on. The older you get, you start to worry about falling down, a six- or seven-year-old, you know, and then he's worried about what the other kids think. Start them really young, and you'll pick up skating easy. If you try to start later, it gets a little bit harder. Although you can pick it up, not that you can't. It's just easier if you start them when they're young and just kind of get them out there and they'll start toddling around and, you know, and then pretty soon the one thing that really gets them going is, you know, once they go to school, you know, all, if you, if your kid's not playing hockey, all the kids are playing hockey, period. I don't you know. Now that might be a little much, but in my world, the whole thing was hockey and, yeah. So you go once you go there and you find all your little friends, they're all going off to the local rinks and stuff and pretty soon you're meeting them there afterwards and running yeah. That's that's where you go and that's where you learn to play. You know, that's where you pick up the the sticks and the ability to stick handle and get around somebody and you learn what you like to do and what you don't like to do on the ice is when you're really young. And then as you get older it just develops faster and faster, just like you know, baseball or football or anything. But well, I always tell people, like, you know, you can lift weights, become this, like, bodybuilder guy, but you can't teach height and natural size. You and your brother were huge. Was your father a big man? Yeah. Yeah, he's about – I guess he would have been about the same size as me. Scott was a little bit bigger. Scott was, I don't know, he was more like 6'3". Oh God, he was more of a three hundred pounder. He went down, you know. He played, 
he played football for the University of Minnesota down at uh, in Minneapolis out of Duluth. Uh, and, geez, I can't even remember the coach's name way back. That would have been back in 1970, something like that. But he ran a 4-5-40 wow. back then. Holy yeah. cow. And he was a lineman. He was a defensive lineman. So, as who, was, a, uh, who was the better football player, you or your brother? Oh, he was. Yeah. By the, way, by the way, Jay Will says you are in great shape. <laughs> Who's Jay Will? It's one of the fans watching you. He says, man, you look like you're in great shape. Well, I have, I've started, my wife started me, you know how wives are, they get you going. Yeah, I was here, I don't know, six, eight months ago, even maybe a little farther back. She starts going, you know, her doctor says, well, she, you should go walk, walk 15 minutes and then, you know, and then come back 15 minutes and that's a half hour walk. That'll be good for you. Well, okay, we start doing that. And then I see her going out there, where are you going? Well, I'm going for a walk. Oh, all right, I'll go with you. So we go, yeah, now we're walking. Then my son, then my son gets, uh, he tells us of this Fitbit thing on your phone. Oh, how many steps do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. What about 10,000? That's like that's like five miles a day. Oh, I don't know. Okay, sure. Well, now, now the phone runs our life, and we have we walk every day back and forth. I've dropped about – I was at 255. I'm at 220 now. So I'm, I've am i leaned way down. I don't uh, – you know, you change, we changed our diet. We got away from so much uh, red meat and pastas and all that now. Now basically it's fruits and fruits and vegetables. I'm a fruitcake. So, <laughs> you know. And it's it's not I don't know. You always tried to lose weight, you know. I always tried to lose weight when I was working on, on the road and all that shit too, but you know, you never changed your diet. You're always eating hamburgers or you're on the road eating French fries or you know, you gotta cut all that crap out. I mean as soon as we as soon as I got around to just eat, you know, we, I, I, nowadays I get up and I make a, a protein uh, shake in the morning, uh, you know, with fruit and apple, a banana, some strawberries or some blueberries or orange, put it in, mix it up with your protein, and boom, I drink that and I pour some of it over my uh, shredded wheat. No sugar on the shredded wheat, just the shredded. That's what I have for breakfast. Then we come back and eat a big salad for about lunch. And in the evening, we might have some chicken or, you know, pork. But red meat, eh, not so much. We just kind of got away from it all. And the weight falls off, just fell off. So What are you weighing like, right 222, now? 222, 223. Not bad. 6'3", right? 223, not too bad. No, leaned out. So, yeah. But when I wrestled all those years, I was at 250, 255. Yeah, yeah. So I had a little extra on me. Speaking of wrestling, what makes you become a pro wrestler, hockey player, football player? What turns you into becoming a pro wrestler? My brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, brothers, brothers get you in more trouble than ever. Well, anyway, Scott's. Scott was at the University of Minnesota, and, uh, you know, he started his first two years. His freshman year, he was a starter for the University of Minnesota. And then for two years, he started, 
and then uh, they changed coaches. The, the new coach, I came, I don't know names, but he came in, he brought in, well, obviously he brought in his own talent, right? And Scott kind of got set to the side. And so basically in his senior year, <clears throat> he still liked football, but kind of, he was kind of disgruntled with it. And so I think he talked to, uh, and Jim Brunzel went to the University of Minnesota. So did Vern Gagne. And somebody told him, well, maybe you should try, you know, wrestling. Go see if Vern Gagne is having a camp. Maybe you can become a wrestler. And Scott never wrestled. I mean, as a as an amateur, actually, quite frankly, there is no amateur wrestling up in northern Minnesota. It's in Wisconsin, but they get a little bit of amateur up here now. But anyway, point being, he went to that camp, and Ricky Steamboat, Cosgrove Viserys, you know who Cosgrove was, right? Yes, sir. The Iron Sheep. Yep. He, he was running this camp for Vern. Uh, Ricky Steamboat, my brother Scott, Buck Zumhoff, Lord knows. And um, <laughs> there were two. There were two other guys that came through. They they both died relatively early in their careers from car wrecks. Mm. And uh, so it was Ricky Steamboat and Scott and Buck Zumhoff, and they went through the camp. And then, you know, so he comes out. And now he gets to Vern sends him off places. And now about the time, about that time, Scott's getting in. I'm finishing up skating at the uh, up here in Duluth. My hockey, you know, I didn't make it all the way through college. I got about two and a half years in, and uh, coach didn't seem to didn't seem like to play me too much. But anyway, so I one day I walked out of the off the ice, and that was it. But then Scott said, "Hey, well, get out of Duluth. Get out of Duluth. You got to get out of Duluth." You know. And so I said, "Well, well, he was down in Charlotte running with Ric Flair, Blackjack Mulligan, Crusher Blackwell." all the people that were down there at that time. And he says, come down, come to Charlotte and just come and visit. Just get out of Duluth. Well, I left and went down there and I think it was 77 and I moved home in 98. So I went down there, started first day I'm down there. We go training, you know, of course, everyone, you know, wrestlers, they got to train. So we go, Gonna go train. I think. What, the, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna do squats and sit-ups. Oh Christ! We went over to Ric Flair's house and uh, we're doing squats out in the sun. You know, I'm from northern Minnesota. We don't have any sun up here. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and we're out in the sun, and, and, and the Carolinas doing squats and sit-ups. Pretty soon, I'm puking in Flair's bathroom. <laughs> you know. But anyway. Got through that, got through, you know, and then when I was, I'm living there with Scott for a couple of months and uh, you start, you know, you meet Ric Flair, that kind of thing. Then they want, well, you want to, you want to drive me tomorrow? You drive my car. I don't want to drive out. You drive me to the building, you know. Okay. So I'd drive some of them around or I'd go with Scott and we'd go to the matches every night. Just after a little while, then pretty soon, you know, uh, in Charlotte, the ring was always up. On, they, I think it ran on Saturday night. So on Saturday afternoons, you could go to the ring and get in the ring 
And Larry Sharp, I don't know if you know who Larry Sharp was. Absolutely, yeah. Larry Sharp was uh, friends, good friends with Scott, and they would we would go to the ring on Saturday afternoons and go over there, and they'd beat the tar, beat the Jesus out of me. <laughs> you know, I get in there and try to do stuff, and we're doing stuff, and you know, it wasn't being athletic. Yeah, it's not too hard to learn to hit the ropes. Can you flip over? Can you fall down? Can you get up? You're doing it, you know, they're showing you how to do it. Boom, boom. And then Larry Sharp's putting a squeeze on you, you know, trying to see if you, you know, if you can take it. He's trying to, you know, get you to say I quit eh, or anything. But, no, nah, I didn't do that. I don't know. I guess I was pretty limber. I don't know. He tried to reef on you and didn't, I don't know. Didn't, it didn't really hurt or didn't bother me. So, you know, finally one day, one day we went 300 miles east. The next day we went 300 miles west of Charlotte. And I I saw the same match two nights in a row. Same people, same match. Move for move. And I said, ah, Scott, um, I just saw that one and that one, same, same. And he goes, oh. You're starting to catch on, you know. And so, yeah. So after that, then it was a matter of just uh, learning the moves, learn the vocabulary. And I had my first match with uh, Professor Malenko in Lynchburg, Virginia in 77, 78. I don't know. Something like that. And he twisted me in knots. He was, I mean, didn't hurt me, but, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I went out there and and got spun around, twisted around, picked up, slammed down, whatever, and went back in. So I'm walking back into the, I'm walking back into the locker room, and uh, Baron von Raschke looks at me and he goes, "So you want to be a wrestler, huh, kid?" <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I, I guess I just laughed, but uh, you know, he's from Minnesota and. Uh, so it was kind of like that's kind of where it got started and then Christmas showed up I went we came home for Christmas and then went back down there and that's when I think George Scott was the booker in Charlotte at the time and they sent me to Atlanta for uh, down there with Ole Amps and those guys well I went down there and uh, Tommy Rich was there uh, Tony Atlas was there. Rick Martell was there. There were some other uh, older guys. Uh, Jesus, I can't remember their name. But, you know, Ole was there. Gene Anderson was there. Uh, they were all going on. And so Ole, yeah, I don't know. He he, he booked me. Booked me, you know, every week, three, four times a week. So, you know, started running around. And, uh, started running with Tommy Rich because we were basically the same age. I was actually older than Tommy. Tommy is fairly young, but, you know, young, good-looking kid being pushed for the uh, the title and stuff. And so, yeah, we became friends and started running up and down, and Martel was there, same age. He's down out of Montreal. Uh, so, yeah, uh, kind of fit right in. Did I ever really plan on it? No, not at all, you know. But I think I went to... I went to one wrestling match in my career in Duluth, Minnesota when I was a kid because, you know, Vern was on every Saturday. 
And I went down, and all I remember is the Alaskan was there. And he had he had a bull whip. Wow. <laughs> I think that's, that's where I picked up. That, Wild that, Bill picked up the bull whip anyway. Excellent. So speaking about your brother, unfortunately he passed at a significantly early age. Um, yeah. Is that... How difficult is that to get over? And do you still live with it? Do you think about him often? Oh, I talk to him all the time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It, it, is it difficult? <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to get over. It's difficult to get through. Uh, you know, I, there's not there wasn't much that could be done. You know, we were up in Montreal when that all set in. You know. He thought he had a pinched nerve and turns out to be a brain tumor. And, uh, you know, he went to many, he thought he had needed a chiropractor and kept going to doctor and doctor. And finally he went to a doctor and they sent him over here. And, uh, then he, then they sent him to the neurosurgeon and it was kind of like, well, you have, uh, I don't know, a brain cancer. And it was like fingers all through the brain, not just like one tumor. So they gave him a year and a half and, you know, he lasted about a year and a half, but, you know, so yeah, that, it, it, it was, it, I don't know. It's not, it was hard to do, but there wasn't much anything that couldn't be done, you know? So, well, I mentioned earlier how much you meant to me personally as a fan of professional wrestling and where I first saw you was in WCCW. How do you end up working for the for the great Fritz von Erich? <laughs> well, first of all, you got to be down in Tampa with uh, Randy Tyler, leaving with Buck uh, Robley, going to go to Atlanta, and uh, going to work. The, uh, Buck Robley was going to be the booker in Atlanta. Well, between. Tampa and Atlanta, Buck Robley got fired. <laughs> and so now we're traveling to Atlanta with, we don't know where, what, if we're going to be able to book or not. We don't know nothing. So Randy Tyler knew, uh, oh Christ, what's her name up there in Canada, Calgary, the Owens, Owen Hart, oh, the Hart. Owen, oh, okay. The Hearts. He, he, he knew that. He knew them. So he called, uh, Old man heart, and so we went. We went from Tampa to uh, Calgary. We lasted there about two months. Crazy up there, absolutely crazy. And then Scott got me got me booked down in Dallas, Texas. And then once I got down there, that's how. Once I got in there, that's where things started to change for me. They they seemed to like me down there. I think everybody liked you down there. The Iron Claw just came out. Uh, well, yeah. not just came out. Have you had an opportunity to see it? No, I have not. I haven't seen it. Uh, I've talked to several. I've talked to several people that know about it. Uh, you know, uh, from James Beard to uh, uh, you know David Manning, who's down there. I don't know if you know these people or not, I do. but they were they were all in on the Fritz von Erich situation than the Von Eriks down there. They've seen it and I you know, there's a come other people, Bill God, I can't think of his name. Been hitting the head with too many chairs. Can't remember names. Bill, 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 Bill Cobble is down there. 
And he was a guy that walked you to and from the ring and that kind of stuff. You know, so in talking with them, they've seen it. And I, I've heard that it's, there's some liberties taken. I think that it, it's not quite true to exactly what I would remember. But I think, you know, movie's a movie. You're just trying to, you know, get something across and portray something. So they've, some people have said it's pretty good and other ones say it's not that good. And I think the ones that say it's not that good are the ones that were really there. Mm. The ones, people that don't really know or weren't really there with the Von Erics and go through and live through it like I did, they don't think it's that good. So I don't know. I haven't gone to see it yet. As a moviegoer, I thought they focused way too much on the wrestling aspect of it where they really had a good story to tell. And they, 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 I felt they could have done a better job, but a lot of people enjoyed it. In the movie, though, Bill, they portray Fritz von Erich as being this, I would say almost this cold-hearted guy that pushed his kids to the limit. Is that the Fritz von Erich you knew? No, not at all. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit, yes, but not, not really in that. You know, um, I don't know, Fritz. I don't know if he, how I fit in so well, but he, you know, he seemed to like me. I mean, I can tell you a story. I'm there. You're trying. You go there to pick up your check on. I think it was every Friday or Tuesday or whatever, whatever day it was. It doesn't really matter. But one day I was there, and of course Vince, oh, Vince was there. Fritz was there. And, you know, so I was just talking to him and asking him if checks were ready. And he goes, no, it's going to be a little while. And I said, oh, you know, he says, well, what, what's the matter? And I said, well, I've got a, well, you know, I need a root canal. I'm headed with, I'm going to take the check and go get this root canal at this dentist, right? Today, right now, I need the. I need the money to go pay for it. And then he goes, well, go upstairs and, you know, talk to the lady, his secretary. She'll have a check for, she'll get you your check. And then, then he says, well, how much is the root canal? And I said, it was 150 bucks. I mean, that sounds ridiculous now, but (laughs) you know, in those, in those days, I mean, it was 150 bucks and he, he had the, he had a secretary, put in an extra 150 bucks to pay for my root canal. And so, you know, God, he was always nice to me. Everybody was, they, you know, on Bronco Lubich, who was his referee, that, you know, that's, he's the one that named me. You know, he said they were trying to figure out, well, Bill Irwin, what the hell? You know, what kind of a name is that? What are we going to have? And Bronco said, well, he's just wild in the ring. Just call him Wild Bill. So I ended up to be Wild Bill, and from Wild Bill, I kind of went on to the cowboy thing a little bit, and then you know I started with the long, the tall boots, and just kind of added. Then I went into jeans and all that kind of stuff, and the character came through. And so you know, do I think? But was Fritz pushy with his kids? Well, yeah, maybe because I know Mike. Mike was a he was a musician. He played guitar and he liked to, he was like, he wanted to be in a band because he was coming up 
just when I was there and he was young, coming to high school, he wanted to play music and be in a band. And I think the old man said, no, you're going to wrestle. Uh, so he didn't get to be in a band and he got put into the ring with the rest of the boys. And, uh, you know, I don't think his heart was ever in it. I mean, he wasn't bad. I worked with him, but, you know, I don't think his, like I said, his heart wasn't into it. I think the old man probably should have let him put some money behind him and make him a rock and roll star if he wanted to do anything. But, you know, talking to you. So clearly you were, you were close with the, somewhat close with the, the Von Erich boys in general. Um, yeah. When, when did they, because again, I'm just a fan, Bill, so I don't know. So I'm just going for what I hear. When did they start to spiral out of control with the drug use? Oh, <laughs> that was everybody in those days. Um, that was, that was just a, you know, you got young kids with a certain amount of money and fame. So they, they end up doing the things uh, they probably shouldn't be doing, you know, got themselves in a little bit of trouble. They, they, you know, Carrie's the one that, you know, really got, had the problem, I think, where, and his biggest problem was he just got caught, for Christ's sake. You know, he broke his foot on a motorcycle, and uh, I think then he got popped with uh, cocaine or something. And, you know, a judge said something like, oh, you do this again, we're going to you know, send you off. And then I think he got popped again with some cocaine. And so he was afraid he was headed off to jail, you know. And plus, he'd had the accident with his foot and, uh, you know, had the problem there. So things were kind of spiraling a little bit on him. But do I think that they're any worse than any of the other any of the rest of us that were there? No, <laughs> you know, you know, some were a little more into some of the stuff. Some were into maybe just smoking weed. Maybe some got into a little bit more, but yeah, I didn't ever think it was really that bad. You know, there was uh, you know, there's always a little bit of something around anywhere you go. Uh, and did I think Carrie was really deep into it? No, not really. No, you know, but he got himself into a situation that I think he got scared and then he just, you know, offed himself, which was, oh man, too much. David was a whole nother story. You know, David, you know, I don't know. David, uh, David was a, uh, what do they call it? Can't think of uh, a purger, mm. you know, where they, they puke, they'll eat food and puke it up. So mm, that's you know, that was within the night that he that he moved that he moved on. <clears throat> he was. That's a whole other story, but so so I know you've told that story a lot, right? And I get it, but. I guess the question I have for you, you hear the different stories. And again, it's been clear at a lot of points that it was that, uh, like an intestinal issue. But then you hear stories that Brody was throwing drugs out of his room. You were there. I saw you on a WWE documentary way back where you said yeah. it was the case of, you know, not a drug issue. Is that is that the case? 
Yeah. He it, it wasn't a, a drug issue. No, because he'd been he'd I had been with him all day. I flew over there on a plane with him. We I mean, we sat we sat in L.A. in a bar. Waiting. Yes, this is what everybody did when they went to Japan. They go to you go to L.A. You wait for the plane, but you're sitting in a bar with. Then all the wrestlers that are going on the trip start showing up, and you guys are having a few beers. And then pretty soon it's get on the plane, and on the plane you have a few more beers. And then they, on the way to Japan, they feed you relatively early, so then you eat a nice meal. Then you fall asleep, and when you wake up, you land, and then you get off the plane. And generally, you'd go to like a. Uh, uh, a meeting with the press, they'd ask questions, and that's where you know you stayed as baby faces and heels and talked tough about each other. And then afterwards, you know, you kind of got out of there, and then we went and ate some more. Uh, so you know, and then we went over to uh, Ribera Steakhouse and ate and ordered steaks and potatoes and stuff, big meals. And then and he had like two of them. David had two of these meals. Right, and it's like holy Christ, how do I eat so much? Well, anyway, so we'll keep going. Now, eventually, we head back. We get back to the hotel, and so of course we're not finished yet. We got to go into the bar and have a couple of drinks, you know. So we go into the bar, and uh, you know, have a couple of drinks, and he orders up some food, and it's like, wow, Jesus! And then he disappears. He says, I got to run to my room. So he runs up to his room. Ah, shit, I don't know. What the hell? Then he comes back down in a few minutes and he starts eating more food. Jesus. You know, yeah, well, okay. I mean, he was tall, big guy. What the hell? And, uh, you know, then it was uh, pretty much time to uh, head on off. And he goes, hey, hey, Bill, you want to come up to my room? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, what do you got? What's going on? So we go up there go in there and sit down, chit-chat, laugh and giggle because we're, you know, we're the same age and uh, uh, out of the same territory and, you know. So he says, well, okay, I'm going to call my wife. And, uh, and I says, yeah, I think it's time for me to, you know, get to bed, right? All right, so I'm out of there, but I leave him. I leave him on, I guess what I'm trying to say is on the short side of the bed where it's closer to the wall, you know. The other side's wider. So over here's where the phone is. Well, he sits on that side. Okay, see you. And he's getting the phone. And thought, okay, bye. I'm gone. I go to bed, get up the next day. Everything's cool. Everybody's fine. You know, going along. I never see David all day. But uh, I figured, well, you know, he's the star coming over here. And then, uh, you know, they might be taking him out, go someplace, go do something. And, he was gone. I didn't see him all day. Now we're getting on the bus and, you know, everybody's on the bus and Brody's on the bus and I'm on the bus and uh, everybody else is on the bus. Where's David? And then on in comes, oh, I can't think of his name, the referee over there, the one referee that spoke enough English so that he could referee the Americans match. He comes on and goes, Brody, Brody, come, come. And I'm sitting right behind Brody, you know, if you're in a bus, so you're kind of like, huh. So there that goes. There goes Brody off with the uh, 
Joe Higuchi, that's his name, I believe, and uh, the referee's name. So they go off, and in the distance we hear ah, sirens. You know, and all the guys are all looking at each other. We're all looking like what? Whoosh! We all get up out the door. We followed Brody and Joe Higuchi in, and you go up one flight of stairs. He was on the first floor, I guess it would be the second floor, in a corner room, and in the hotel person unlocks the door, and we all go in. Uh, Brody goes in, I go in, uh, Joe Higuchi goes in, and here come all the other boys right behind us. We go, and it's in a room where you kind of come in, and you go around a bend. The bathroom was here, so you went around it. And when you came in, there's the bed. Well, there's David laid back on the bed. He's as blue as a pair of jeans, man. You know, he's right where I left him when he was going to make the phone call. And he he was blue. Oh, God. So here in come, you start, now you're hearing the, the, the ambulances are arriving. And they come running up. And uh, they come in. And they, you know, they start working on him on the bed. Well, the bed's bouncing blue. They can't do anything. So... Brody and I are standing, I'm at his head, Brody's at his feet, so they wanted him on the floor, so I grab uh, David's hands or his wrists, and Brody's got his feet, and we slide him to the edge and, you know, put him on the floor, to put him on the floor, and when his head drops back, I've got his head right, right, right here, uh, his head drops back off the edge of the bed, out of his mouth comes just bleh, like a bunch of food just right out of his mouth. And then the guy's wiping it away and trying to pump him and wiping it away. But he was gone. Mm. He was gone there. And they just, they tried, but there wasn't, there was nothing. And do I think it was drug induced? No. Speaking of Brody, how upset were you were when you heard about his murder in Puerto Rico? Yeah, that kind of that that angered me to uh, you know a certain extent in that I I just said I'll never go to Puerto Rico. I never I never necessarily wanted to anyway. Uh, but I just said no, I'll never go. To so that just Rico. sealed the deal for you. No, sealed sealed it. I'm not going to Puerto Rico. So the key and I know. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What are you gonna say? Well, I just, uh, you know, I know a few people. I mean, I've talked with Tony Atlas. He's told me the story uh, a couple of times on the whole nine yards of that, which, you know, I don't know the story like he does, so he can repeat that story. But I don't know. No, I just wouldn't go over there anymore. So to keep you on the timeline, David passes. You have that tribute show. Kerry beats Flair for the NWA title. Mm -hmm. As being part of that WCCW team, what did that mean to you guys, or what did it mean to you that the, that this uh, great championship was now in your territory that you helped make iconic? Wow! I, at the time, you're not into making iconics. You're just a dumb kid at 20-some years old, running up and down the road having a good time. And was it a big deal? Yeah, it was great, you know, bad that David died. 
but Carrie got the belts. We had the biggest show. This was before Vince ever made had WrestleMania. So this was one of the biggest, I think it was the biggest show ever on in the United States, continental United States ever we had there. And so, yeah, it was great that it, that we were in on it and did it and had, you know, that kind of stuff. But as far as like being a momentum in or something in your life, was, uh, I don't know, God, we just moved on and kept going, you know. The, the territory was running great. Everything was going good. So you just kept running. You know, I mean, you kind of answered the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, you mentioned about everybody was doing drugs and things like that. But, you know, I know you're young, but you're also smart. You're a smart man. You understand that the organization that you're building right now is making, you know, making major headways within the industry. And you know it's wrapped around the Von Erics. Is there a point? Are you like, yo, guys, you're, you're screwing this up for everybody? Uh, well, you mean like uh, on, on their actions and what they're doing? And it seems well, like. Yeah, because it's built yeah. around them. And you guys legitimately could have been the WWE. I do believe that. It just got yeah. screwed up. Yes. Yeah, we were in front of the WWE, but we were ahead of the we were ahead of them in the time frame. You know that new TV show that uh, they brought to Fritz and with the cameras right on the edge of the on the edge of the ring and all running around like they did. The way that things were done, that was kind of a new way of doing things in the wrestling industry. Yeah, we knew about it and we knew we were doing it and making things were getting better uh you know and, t and changing the way things are done out there but did it sometimes you kind of thought to yourself uh you know they need to they need to try and straighten up but i don't know uh, when you're young it's kind of hard to tell somebody else your own age you need to straighten up but you know sometimes they were they would be somewhere in not very good shape and you'd have to kind of take care of them uh, you know, literally in the ring or something, you know, you just get out there and kind of work with them and do what you can with the match and get it over and uh, get home safely, basically, right? Uh, but, yeah, we knew it was uh, going well. But, you know, again, we're not. I got it. In, I guess we're in a situation where, as far as I was concerned, I was really young to the business in that I didn't know the business much before I got into it. And suddenly I'm into it now. I'd said when I got in, I says, I'll give myself five years and see how I'm doing. Well, five years, I'm there with the Von Erics running like crazy and, you know, getting pushed on TV and, you know, <laughs> you know, talking tough and acting stupid, basically. So, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. Was it... Uh, yeah, sometimes you kind of, when you think back about it, you think, oh, Jesus, yeah. You know, what were we doing? <laughs> How is it that I lived through it, basically? There's, mm. I talked to several people that were there during the times and all the places that I was. And we always say, I don't know, how'd we get through, you know? Many, many of us didn't get through. Well, thank God oh. you did, man. Thank God you did. Yeah. You yeah. find you finally get the call to the WWE. It's the big time. I know you went to WCW for a bit, but we're going to skip over that. Um, 
Can you tell me what was it like when you first get that call and who called you? Bruce Pritchard. Um, well, it's basically in that, you know, things are ending when this is, uh, what is it, 84? Uh, 84? No. I think a little 90, later than that. Yeah, 95, 94 is, this is when my son was just born. So I remember that he was born in 95 and where I'm trying to get a hold of Bruce Pritchard, who's obviously, you know, what was he? He, uh, he's up there with Vince and he, he was, what was it? What was the name of that character right there? Uh, uh, Brother Love. Brother Love. So Brother Love was big on TV, and I knew him from, you know, being out on the roads and stuff. So I'd call him and, you know, just seeing, if you got any space, could you use me? You know, but he says, well, I don't know, you know. And so finally one day he says, well, he says, if, uh, you know, if you were brought up, what would you want to do? Because Vince, you know, he's not, he wouldn't want to keep Wild Bill. He'd want something different, you know. And like I've said before, right off the tip of my tongue, I don't know why it hit me, but I said, well, you've had every other athletic endeavor coming in and being a professional wrestler, but you've never had a hockey player. Then he goes, a hockey player? I says, yeah, hockey player. And, you know, and then from one question to the next, he goes, well, a hockey player, what, what's going to make you different from anybody else? I mean, you just, you know. You're a guy that played hockey. So what? I says, well, no. I says, if I can go skate, you know, three 20-minute periods with uh, uh, shin pads and all that attire on, I can definitely get in the ring and wrestle for 20 minutes, 30 minutes with it on. That's not going to be a problem. Oh, what do you mean? Huh. Anyway, so basically I told him, I said, well, you know, hey, I could get a pair of skates, take the take the blades off of them, take the skates to a, a shoe guy and have him put on those the foam rubber soles that are on the wrestling boots. And then I said, stack them up and then have him taper them in so that they, when I'm standing on them, they'll look like skates. They are skates, but they're going to have the, you know, the, the look of a ice skate blade. And I says, I can wear, I can get gloves and I can wear the elbow pads and I could wear the pants and I could even wear shin pads and I'll go out there and I can wrestle in that attire, go to the ring as, you know, and he goes, Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. then he says, okay, uh, I'll, I'll call you next week. Well, he calls me back and he says, Vince liked it. He's going to call you the goon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's, I don't know. Then if, and then from there it was like, well, you need to get out here. You need to, you know, I'll send you a ticket, get out there. You know, you go in, when you go in there, they measure you, you know, for costumes or whatever. You go through all this stuff and, you know, sit down, talk with Vince, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, basically got to, like, we went and bought, went and bought the skates, the gloves, the jerseys, the pants, the shin pads, all of it. And uh, the hockey socks, garter belt, you know, Nut cup, everything, everything to play hockey. Boom, and uh, we did that. 
And then, I don't know, a couple weeks later, a week or so later, I went back out there and we went and did some vignettes, as they used to call them. And it was the goon going to that to the hockey rink and skating. And we went and did some vignettes out there. And when we got to the rink, I thought, well, God, what am I going to do? I'm all, uh, here. I'm all alone. I'm going to be on a hockey rink. I'm going to do skate in circles, shoot the puck. Big deal, right? <laughs> well, it just so happens that there was there was five or six guys out there having a little pickup game when on the rink, you know, they must've rented the ice and the right before us. And so I said, Hey, 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 I got a, I said, guys, come here, come here. I explained what's going on. And I says, would you guys want to be out there on the ice with me? And I'll trip you and slash you and do all these, you know, run you into the boards and all that kind of crap. And, you know, We'll get you some tickets or whatever to the shows. And they were all, they were, they were in, you know, I had, that was it. They were in. So we did those vignettes and did all that stuff. And then off we went and that's what, that's how the goon got started. Great story. We did have yeah. T.L. Hopper in studio though. And he did say that at that point, Vince oh, was yeah. grabbing some of the major players like yourself, um, and he kind of was putting them in gimmicks that, and saddling them with gimmicks that he knew wasn't going to get over. But just you telling that story right now, it doesn't seem to be the case. What are your thoughts on that comment? Well, I think he, I, I don't think he was uh, throwing them in gimmicks that he didn't think would get over. I think he was just throwing gimmicks out there to see what would get over. You know, it's like throwing shit up against the wall, see what sticks. Now, it might have been at the end of kind of the gimmick uh, time frame in that he was uh, the toilet guy, the plumber, mm -hmm. and kid out of Florida. God, we had Duke the Dumpster, right? Duke the Dumpster, the dumpster yeah. yeah. just these different characters, they brought him in. Now, the, the goon character, in, in my opinion, and of course my opinion means nuts, when he got there, I think... I think the fans liked it. They kind of enjoyed it. But uh, the booker, what was his name? Jim, Jim Ross? Yeah, Jim Ross. Jim Ross didn't know what to do with it. Maybe he didn't like it. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't his idea. He thought it was stupid. I don't know. But he just never really kind of uh, did too much with it. I was always just come and do TV, but... Um, you know, and, and quite frankly, I can remember, I think when I was there, the Stanley Cup was starting. And here you've got this goon hockey player, and you're not having him talking about the Stanley Cup or saying, I'm going to be there. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, mixing it up, uh, maybe having somebody come with a other team's jersey, you know, whatever. You could have done, I think, a lot of things, but they, I don't think. I don't think Jim Ross saw it that way, and so it kind of just it just kind of faded away, is what it did. But you know, in ever I was there for what seven, eight months, God, maybe nine months. But people, they still remember the goon, and you know, they still love the goon and all that. <laughs> That's you right. Come and autographs, and oh God, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I don't know why this didn't get over more than it did, you know, but. There you go. Well, I got to tell you again, I want to thank you for joining us. So right before we head out, whether you know this or not, Bill, um, 
you're also part of an iconic moment in podcasting. I'm going to play a video for you, and if you would appease the fans out there, they would like to know what you were thinking after this question's asked to you. Um, we're going to play that video, and if you could answer. Wrestled The Undertaker in, in one match. Would that have been the biggest match you had in the WWE? I think it was on Superstars. Um, that's one of those things where, you know, really, I don't know. To me, is it the biggest match? No. Is it? I, I don't know how to answer that question. That's like... Who's your biggest match? What the hell? I've been doing this for fucking 40 years, and you're asking me who in the fuck's my biggest All match? right, you're a fucking, worthless, fucking, you're a fucking worthless drunk. Go to hell, you worthless loser. Thank you. Bill, I, that, that was a terrible question that he asked you, so I certainly understand why you got upset, but if you can share what you were thinking at that point of that interview. Well, I... I think what I was thinking was that we hadn't been getting along on the interview anyway. He was telling me some stuff about Steve Kern when I was the Black Scorpion and Steve Kern. He was saying that Steve Kern was the Black Scorpion, and I was trying to tell him that something that uh, I don't know if he didn't believe, didn't want to believe, maybe he just wanted to argue about it. I don't know. Steve Kern... Um, he said that Steve Kern said that he was one of the Black Scorpions. If Steve Kern said he was a Black Scorpion back in the WCCW days, he was. I'm not going to argue that point at all. I was one of them, and we all traveled around filling Ric Flair's shoes, uh, working with people when Ric Flair was off in uh, Japan. So I don't know. <laughs> he got all upset. Uh, but, you know, I really didn't care because I guess, uh, you know, he was he was kind of pissing me off a little bit with, you know, telling me that he knows. Anyway, we didn't get along. So so there it is. I personally, I don't care. I don't know what to say about it. I've, <laughs> I've heard some other things now about him that and I don't even know if it's was he in some match where he gigged himself all up with razor blades and gigged the, the uh, referee too. And is so, that him? You, yes, that is him. He took a golden mm -hmm. spike and kept jabbing into the referee's head, who he claims said it was allowed it to happen, but later on you find out it's not the case. And anyway, I think he's yeah. also on house arrest. Also, I think I'm not, don't yeah. hold me to it, but you know, I don't, uh, it's that's that's one of those things. Uh, I might not have been. That's not probably my my finest day either. But uh, you know. Well, Bill, I'm going to tell you personally. I loved it, and I think a lot of other people loved it. It was it was it was good television. Well, I'll tell you the other side of the coin is, was it kind of always has not that it's irked me like I really needed it or anything like that. But I was supposed to be paid for that. And, you know, he got all upset and cut it off, but he ran it. Hmm. I, never, I never got paid. And there you go. Just there another, you go. Just, just another one. Bill, yeah. I, I really want to thank you for taking the time out. It is truly an honor. I want to thank you as a wrestling fan first for what you've given to the industry and to us fans. And um, 
I just want to thank you in general. So thank you, Bill, for taking the time on Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. You're welcome. It was fun. We had a good time. Good. We'll talk soon, yeah. Bill. Thank you again. All right. You're just going to get a hold of me later or tomorrow or something? I'll text you right after the interview. All right, man. You See ya. Just give me, give me a call. Nice to speak with you. Do it again anytime. You got it. Thank you. Abe, the great Bill Orwin. That was great. Good, I love uh, him, man. Good show back. I got to tell you, again, WCCW guy, psh, I love that guy. Yeah, no, he's cool. He's got a lot of a lot of good stories. I, was... I, when he came up to the WWE, I was hoping that um, they would do more with him, but unfortunately they didn't. But whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, I want to thank story. everybody for joining us. The 30 is on next, and right after that is the return of Jimmy Farrow. We'll talk to you soon.